child born today will grow up with no conception of privacy at all. They'll never know what it means to have a private moment to themselves and unrecorded, unanalyzed thought. And that's a problem because privacy matters. Privacy is what allows us to determine who we are and who we want to be. To begin with the words of Edward Snowden, I would like to put before you a scenario. If I were to tell you that you are constantly being monitored, it is known whom you talk to, how many hours you are on phone, and how frequently you interact is all on record. Let me go a step further and fuel your fears. Not only are you monitored, but influenced. Influenced to pay heed to advanced targeting and paid advertisements. Namaste and welcome to the third episode of Bar at Law, Digital Privacy. Today, we are joined by Mr. Rohin Garg, Associate Policy Counsel for Internet Freedom Foundation. Internet Freedom Foundation, a branch out of volunteers who worked for Save the Internet campaign, is an Indian digital liberties organization that has the primary objective that technology should respect fundamental rights guaranteed by the Indian constitution. Mr. Garg, as a policy counsel, works on regulatory frameworks, parliamentary engagement on digital rights, increasing access to the internet and ensuring social welfare through digital policies. We are truly honored to have you with us today, sir. And I look forward to discuss the most contentious topic concerning internet users today. Welcome to Bharat Law, sir. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Shivani. Thank you for having me. So, sir, before we start to walk the legislative roadmap and discuss the bills and acts in place, a millennial's mind immediately connects the dot backwards to the much-talked-about documentary on Netflix, Social Dilemma. So, from the viewpoint of a professional working for years in the field of privacy, what is your assessment of the picture the documentary portrayed? Was it a gospel truth or is it appropriate to term it as a stretched figment of imagination? Do these social media platforms really use persuasive technology to harvest on uh, the users for paid advertisements? So th thank you for that question, Shivani. Uh, I must plead ignorance. I haven't seen the documentary myself, but I have some idea about what it is. And more importantly, to answer your question, uh, I think... This is an, a somewhat accurate picture of what happens. I think from all of us have experienced the fact that that, that that moment when we're suddenly talking with our friends and family about something and somehow we see an ad or a pop-up on our phone that says that, that talks about the very issue we're discussing. And, you know, we're often sort of incredulous and this sort of leads us to believe that, oh, you know, the phones are constantly listening to us. Uh, I myself had labored... To, to under that illusion or at least to some degree to that illusion but i think for example as a recent twitter thread put it very recently that person had gone to their mother's house and when they went to their mother's house he'd asked for toothpaste 
The next second, he got an ad for the toothpaste that her that his mother would use, and so again, one would think, right? That yeah, exactly. So one would think it's that that these companies listening in, but what it is is actually what's I think what the, what this documentary to me seems to have hinted at, where you have this very detailed profile of what a person does, what are the interlinkages uh, between say different users, uh, what are their proclivities. Okay, if this linkage is has X strength between two users, to what extent can you say that the likes of Y users will also be a like for X user? So this is a very sort of, and this is of course possible technology. And in in a certain sense, that we have such good computing power and such sophisticated technologies in abstract is a, is very good. Uh, there are many of the world's issues that. Deserve the attention and deserve the use of such intricate uh, modeling techniques uh, to be applied to them. However, this application is of course nefarious, and uh, it is a feature of modern life. I think it is in that sense the documentary is accurate. Okay, so as a user of internet, one individual is present as at various platforms. If we start from Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, Snapchat, and the list is endless. So the recent Puttu Swami judgment did recognize that while using these platforms, a user inadvertently leaves traces of data, which is then used by these platforms without consent. So in this context, can you throw light upon? what determines the content that is available on each user screen and the reality of the encryption that is promised by whatsapp for example the recent privacy policy update regarding to business accounts that whatsapp had showed up and popped up on each user screen and is it actually possible to trace the data to its originator so these are two questions i think i'll deal with them uh, separately uh given that they have somewhat disparate answers so in terms of what content is available um so let's let's take a standard feed based social media right they everyone posts their content they have these very finely tuned algorithms that are apparently very good at judging what we like uh or at least what we would what what they think we like and so then you have this constant stream of of information that is thrown at you and i think it's very conducive to modern life right so like the phone is ever present for regardless of how much uses it no everyone has a phone today everyone uses a smartphone increasingly they're becoming smartphones of course in india that's much slower but that is the end result that will be the end result um now what happens is after a day towards the end of the day as is natural right there are people who got tired early and from one can have different proclivities but for example someone who would like to come home and relax in the evening from their work or their or the studying or whatever uh you earlier had source of information such as for example a book or a tv now these had their own sort of context to them but like for example it's not uh, i mean one could have argued that the television is something similar but at the same time because of its accessibility because of the way it's viewed it was not as liable to sort of sink you in whereas with a phone it's it's just so ubiquitous and so simple it's just there with you all the time you can lie down in your bed and at night there's a term for this right doom scrolling where you just keep on 
this churning through content without really even doing much and that of course is a modern phenomenon but that is made possible by a how easily accessible and how lightweight these smartphones are secondly of course by these very finely tuned algorithms so there is this this clearly is uh, a def- a deliberate ploy by the, by these companies because of course i mean why else would they they want you there right they want you for longer on their platforms uh and so this is a very deliberate sort of attempt it's not something that just happened as a result of okay people choosing to uh, of behavioral issues it is a larger one has to look at the larger social context that led to this apart from that i think access limitation in general right where which is okay what to what extent do i give my data to what to what data do i view that is implemented in a variety of ways and in most cases not adequately so if i say okay i only want to say share some data earlier for example uh, personally i don't use facebook as much but i i still maintain my facebook account if i wanted to view it through my mobile browser it won't let me view it without say downloading facebook messenger or without giving certain access to certain permissions so these are all ways in which they force you to stay on and on on their content and acts and grow even more into the network uh because ultimately that's what i mean that that's what matters for these people i think because i like people say right apple in itself becomes an ecosystem uh i so for example i am i'm an android user and even if i don't even android then becomes its own ecosystem and you can't say for example or not not a lot of people can manage say having say a one one operating sort of ecosystem on their laptop and one on their phone it becomes very difficult to to switch between the two and so there's a natural tendency to get sucked in into this this entire swamp so that is a very deliberate ploy i think that's what i want to stress on secondly when it comes to encryption so whatsapp is interesting because whatsapp because their code's not open source we actually don't know they say it end to end encryption and for all intents and purposes we would like to believe that it is end to end encryption but there's no way of knowing for sure right whereas for example an app like signal its source code is is it's open source so you know that yeah there is actual end to end encryption going on now for example whatsapp's new privacy policy uh, combined with in fact the new intermediary guidelines would mean that that encryption would have to be broken in a certain sense uh which is a very fundamental part of all these platforms i think i remember a famous case in the us where apple had refused to give the us government access a backdoor access to uh, i think i message it was uh because that would fundamentally lead to them breaking their encryption and that that just that just destroys any sort of notion of user privacy it's like once that tool is out there then anyone i mean it's it's likely that it will just sort of percolate through the ecosystem and everyone can end up using it so firstly backdoors shouldn't exist secondly source code should be open uh because other right now we just take whatsapp's word for it we don't really know whether that is the case and even with whatsapp shivani i think there's a distinction to be made whatsapp doesn't store your the the, the contents of your chat but it stores metadata it stores how often you're talking to someone how many groups are on them you're with on them what is your say daily talk time it measures all of this and this in itself is data that perhaps shouldn't be stored because 
just using this data you can get a lot of 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 information and you can sometimes even triangulate the person this is a huge problem with anonymized data uh, but that's for later in terms of encryption ideally yes you don't want any backdoors and you want open source code so that users can see whether whether is indeed end to end encryption okay so if i am to say that a complete user profile of an individual is created from mining extracting and analyzing data from say facebook and whatsapp as one is the parent company of the other and then this personal information is used to deliver advertisements is it entirely true and also in this background what about the so easily available medical consultations that are going on on whatsapp so what is the security of this sensitive personal information that each individual is sharing so okay so to answer your first question like i said shivani i think this is precisely true uh look fundamentally that is the business model whether you look at social media platforms to basic any free app is not really free is my point what you are giving them is data and data in today's world is as is evident eminently eminently valuable uh advertisement advertisers of course pay sort of a huge sort of money for it and you know i think this is a fundamental con- contradiction that people will just have to deal with in the sense that the entire business model of these apps is pretty much based upon the the extraction of data unless you have something i i believe signal is run by some sort of non profit so that's okay that's different right that's not a that's not a commercial company but any commercial company update operating any of these apps will need to rely on the exploitation of data if that's the case then you you then you there will obviously be overreach in respect to privacy so people this is a fundamental contradiction that deserves more discussion uh because i like i said i don't think a private entity operating an app uh, on a commercial basis regardless of its purpose will be able to will will keep within these limits um the it it it's just it is so fundamentally built in that there's no because if this if a service is it is free for the consumer that's how they got on all this massive user base so they can't start charging for it i remember whatsapp had some talks about becoming there was some talk a couple of years ago that whatsapp would become paid and i think the entire reaction of all users just made whatsapp realize that there's no way you can do that we are now addicted and we are we do now are accustomed to these free services so monetizations out of the way direct monetizations out of the other question so if if that's not the case then of course data monetization will happen secondly i think so medical data i think it's not just whatsapp shivani so gen- recently post covid we had a rise in uh, teleconsultations in general uh there's been a lot of there's been the national digital health mission has been pushing for these electronic health records interoperability of data and i think in in general it it's a lot of health data has tremendous benefits if used correctly but also has tremendous pitfalls just simple simple things like okay insurers looking at your health history and raising premiums to exclusions 
to for example if you are a member of say a marginalized community and you wish to say if if you if you say for example if you are someone who's who's a part of the lgbtq community and you you you, you that somehow shows up somewhere in your in your health records and then you go to a doctor and they stay say try and access your file and they see that now that's something that you may not want to be comfortable with and so to deal with health data you need very sort of a clear process with well defined safeguards which don't exist really so if you look at the in, in the the national digital health mission's health data management policy it talks a good talk but it doesn't walk the walk the talk really it uh it's full of a lot of jargon that ultimately promise little and allow significant exemptions for both private actors and government agencies and so uh there clearly has to be a much stronger and much more robust framework put forth for dealing with health data because it's you just think of this right your a relative of yours is sick you have to rush to the emergency room the government has implemented a universal health id scheme that that makes you that that asks for a lot of data from you to you know, sort of get you and suppose you will give you benefits in the form of like a electronic health record that's portable and whatever when you're in the emergency room you're not going to go through look none of us this is a well hashed out sort of joke really but none of us reads the terms and conditions right now if you're in the emergency room you're going to be even less incent you're really not going to want to sit and read through all the terms and conditions in the privacy policy and the consent policy there you're just going to say okay no please give my give my relative or whatever the treatment i'll sign wherever you want i'll give you whatever data you want so that is de facto sort of almost de facto coercion where right? you're just basically upon point of injury or point of emergency you are incorporating people into a program which may actually have significant harms for them and without about which they're not fully informed so i think uh health data specially needs a much larger discussion more people need to start looking at this because even post the pandemic who knows when this will be over um health electronic health systems are here to stay uh it's now about making sure they're more accountable to the user and they work for the citizens of india rather than these than these private medical companies and what is known as medtech right so even when i if i as a user first visit any hospital website there's a bot that first takes in my information and then at a later stage it goes to the doctor so i am asked of my symptoms and then the doctor uh, is actually attending to me so this is all sensitive personal information that we talked about and we do have a bill in place as known as the personal data protection bill although it is still under consideration of a joint parliamentary committee but current scenario where the internet usage has risen by for about 13% and uh, as you said that we are using internet for all kinds of services from health to communication so how late have we arrived on coming to a discussion or coming to a draft bill major countries like us and uk have already stringent laws in place so i think India has had a discussion about this for a long time really i think as far as i think 2011 and 14 you had discussions about this 
there was a there was i believe an expert committee uh, on privacy standards um then of course we had several private members bills that have been introduced over the years we of course had the putta swami judgment then we had the shri krishna committee in 2018 they presented the bill that was given for consultation the bill came out in 2019 then it went to the jpc and the jpc and the jpc so i think it's 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 been a process that's been slow i would say uh given having having seen the bill uh, let's just be thankful that it's slow in that sense but of course it's not a good thing right where other if you look at the eu they got gdpr in around 16 which is anyway much more robust uh, framework usa i think for example california has a consumer protection uh, data protection law that is very stringent or at least most in the pdpb even countries like china brazil singapore australia all have sort of some base level data protection laws whereas india right now it's a free for all and we see that with the example you pointed out right so during the pandemic i had to go to visit a doctor and they asked me i had to download the app because you couldn't get you couldn't go to the hospital and sort of take a token as you would regularly do so the information they downloaded i that 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 point i wouldn't want to go and sit and read the the entire privacy policy the app and i couldn't reject it what is my alternative so the this is this is the the lack of it is causing very real harms and very real exploitation and uh i think now finally so it was the, the report of the joint uh, the, the the joint parliamentary committee was supposed to come out last session but of course last session was curtailed and there's been significant debate within the members of the committee so i think uh that's why uh, the, the chairperson ms minakshi lekhi had to push it to the monsoon session i believe in the monsoon session first week the report will come out and then subsequently the bill should follow soon so i think once that is introduced given the government's majority in lok sabha and i think the situation in the rajya sabha the personal data protection bill might get passed of course there there are several questions here uh, which is that if this is a bill you want to get legislated they want to get legislated then they would have to then in adherence with the pre legislative consultation policy of 2014 they would have to make it go through one round of public consultation apart from that you know if there are significant changes then i think this requires much larger analysis and should that be the case and should the government acquiesce to request for consultation and debate then this will end up drawing out even more and that of course is i think why a lot of these policies that the government comes out it uh like for example the national health stack and the digital health ecosystem the agri stack that's coming out all of these they at least do hint uh the, the policies do contain data protection standards but of course the issue is that the policy it's not statutory so there's no real enforcement here there's no grievance wrestle here and that is an issue right because um ideally you would want if you ideally you want would want these projects not to, to be stalled until you have the statutory backing for robust data protection measures if that's not there you would still want some additional protection besides a policy which is not really which you can't make certain any demands of any legal demands any demands for compensation so i think that is a big issue and because everyone would agree for example that in things like educational health we have to we had to move more digital and that's okay because that, that we were in the middle of pandemic but ideally the government should have introduced some interim measures even ordinance for all it matters 
that just took care of basic levels of user rights, like right to be forgotten, certain specified data security standards, consent mechanisms, uh, all of which has, of course, not been forthcoming. Yeah. So if we come to the uh, discussion of the hits and misses of the draft bill, it lays down a mechanism for consent, the obligations that the data collectors will have to follow. But it, on the other hand, gives government entities complete exemption from the regulations in place. And even after it describes the regulatory authority, describes the criteria for selection of the members, it lacks exact description of its members. So all through the white papers, all we see is that the collection of data is described in detail but it completely evades the usage of the same by entities. So what is a facade for state surveillance? Or is there a possibility to the Cambridge Analytica episode sequel? So what do we uh, apprehend with the passing of the bill in the monsoon session, for example, if it's passed? So I think... You're right, uh, Shivani, that it has significant exemptions. And of course, given past behavior, there is the danger that this is used for surveillance, right? Where you can just willy-nilly exempt any government agency from the uh, provisions of the act. That, of course, can be misused. Ideally, there should be a proportionate mechanism. And even then, you cannot just exempt Basic data security standards, for example, shouldn't be exempt. Certain basic user rights should not be exempt. Uh, you should not exempt government agencies from them. And so then, I mean, what would happen is, uh, given that, for example, like you mentioned, the regulatory body also, it is not very independent right now. It is. It has a high composition, I think almost everyone uh, would, who are dependent or subordinate to the government, which would make the body subordinate to the government. So, even if you gave the government some amount of exemptions, but made the regulatory body a bit more independent, what that would do with that, okay, the government could use it, and then the independent body would sort of ensure that the exemptions are not misused. So, for example, okay, if they're using it in case of terrorist activities, then this uh, data protection authority would give its go-ahead. But if it starts implementing like a large-scale police tracking program, then the data protection authority could come and say, okay, this is a clearly an overreach. You cannot just uh, have such mass surveillance programs run. So when we're denying you, we're denying you uh, approval here. So that is a significant issue. And ultimately, it will be solved only by removing some of these exemptions and increasing the independence in terms of the composition of the data protection authority. As for the Cambridge Analytica scandals, look, it happens all the time. Uh, political data is also very useful, right? I mean, of course, political parties are going to want to use all this. They are going to want to use to, uh, we know about all the various IT cells that exist, of various parties on, on social media. Uh, and that really is, uh, I think, almost unavoidable, uh, which is not to say it's a good thing. But I think it, it is a reality of, 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 of modern life. So combating it would, of course, not just include this, but would involve much more, not just more robust and rigorous, but much more transparent platform moderation. Uh, if you look at stuff like hate speech or fake news, um, 
there's a bit of a struggle where if we give these social media accounts the discretion to do this that's wrong private companies should not be arbiters of this and they have to respect the law of the land same time it cannot be solely government related because then otherwise the government will can use their influence to to distort narratives twist facts their way push certain accounts that they want so i i think my own personal opinion is that there's no single good solution to this i think there require we need much much more debate on this as to what is a good uh middle path to tread that is a, that is, that holds both the governments and these platforms accountable for their actions with respect to uh political data or, or social movements online and my earnest hope is that the government takes us up uh i don't know that will happen though okay so with that we near the end segment of the very mind boggling episode that we have had today so any last thoughts or words of wisdom you would like to leave our listeners with i think look there's this notion uh, that often posts that you know privacy is only useful for those who are elite or who have who are significantly resourced you know the poor first need services and i think it's very instructive that just last week i as while in gurgaon and in gurgaon asha workers here rejected the the phones given to them by the government because it had an app on them that would effectively be used to surveil their activities asha workers anyway more are more vociferous and well organized groups in india and so they do protest a lot this would obviously could be used for tracking their whereabouts and so i want to say that privacy has implications uh yes obviously issues of food and basic subsistence are are the main question but i i would like to point out that it is very the issues of privacy that make these harder if you look at the aadhaar uh, ecosystem that is a not just that is a very big technological flaw it is full of leaks with respect to privacy you have so you have reports of people getting someone else's aadhaar whatsoever and aadhaar aadhaar leakage over there you also have bio large scale biometric failure which leads to massive amounts of inclusion right i believe in jharkhand in 2019 we had reports of food deaths in the 20 in 21st century india we reports of food deaths because someone in someone's family didn't have an aadhar card uh, linked to their ration card so for, i i think i want to tell people that not this privacy matters and that technology must be geared towards the users uh, i don't think in and of itself technology has uh, any normative value uh, best example of course is 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 the is nuclear fission and fusion right you can either make a bomb out of it or you can make clean energy that can hopefully power the world through the, the climate crisis so i think just like with technology those who who talk about privacy shouldn't say go all the other way around and say no we reject technology which i don't think a lot of them do i think to be fair they are not balanced at the same time you should not just sort of rely okay no it's technology it's 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 we can't anything about it no you should we should implement technology in such a way that focuses on the users and delivers public benefits rather than private profit okay thank you so much sir for joining us today and clearing this big huge cloud on the issue of uh, digital privacy that hovers around us until we meet again i leave you with a question 
do voluntarily jeopardize your right to privacy when you agree on the website using cookies to save your information